So uh, this is the um, Sunday uh, before Lent begins. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. And we really like to do Lent around here. Um, we do this thing called Leap of Faith, a Lenten experience. Uh, over on the uh, table in the back corner, there's little booklets that describe our Lenten practices. So I encourage you to get one of these booklets. If you're on our weekly update, um, you can, uh, you probably got that. I think on Friday, Emily sent that out. We'll probably send it out one more time just so you make sure you have it. It's a little orientation to how we do Lent around here. Uh, Lent is, in case you don't know, is the 40 days leading up to Easter, not counting Sunday. Um, and then the resurrection bass, of course, is Easter Sunday. So Easter or Lent is a, like a preparatory season before the great celebration of Easter. It's a spiritual kind of uh, retreat or renewal season within Christianity. Um, it's common to do a few spiritual practices that help us refresh and refocus and uh, reconnect in our God connection during the season of Lent. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But first, um, you understand that Lent is part of something called the church calendar. So you understand like this, you know, there's a Hebrew calendar and there's a Chinese calendar and they have different years than our, our calendar, which is based on the Roman calendar, which is based on the Babylonian calendar, I think. And Lent is part of the church calendar. So it starts with Advent, uh, which is the four Sundays before Christmas. I think Advent uh, 1 is typically the, the last Sunday in November. Uh, Christmas is 12 days long, as you all know from the from the song, uh, followed by the season of epiphany, which means like revelation or manifestation. Then the season of Lent, which starts on uh, Ash Wednesday. We'll be having an Ash Wednesday service with St. Clair's with the imposition of ashes, that smudge on the forehead. You too can get one of those if you come to the Ash Wednesday service. And that runs 40 days to Easter, which is a season two. Uh, so there's 50 days of, of the Easter season, 50 days after Easter is Pentecost, which is like Holy Spirit celebration day. Then back to my favorite time, it's called ordinary time in the, in the church calendar. And I, I don't know, I like ordinary time. I like to get bored sometimes and that lasts a long time. Then the cycle repeats. So the church calendar is not like a hallmark scheme to sell Christian bling uh, or uh, even worse to make the un uninitiated, like most of us, feel stupid. Uh, but it actually has its roots in the strategy of an oppressed people, ancient Israel, to help them resist the rhythms of life that had been imposed on them by their oppressors to give them uh, space for rest and reflection and remembrance and celebration and joy in the midst of oppression. So, you know, living under someone else's way of marking time is a constant reminder that you're a minority, right? You know, when I went to Kashmir in the 1990s, I remember in Srinagar there, the capital city, being awakened, uh, surprised, like I think at 5.30 in the morning by the local mosque uh, blaring in my, you know, Western uh, perspective, the call to prayer over the loudspeaker of the local mosque. And I was like, oh, that's how it feels for a Muslim to live in the U.S., constantly reminded by different customs that you're a minority, 
Because I, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a minority here in Kashmir, religiously. Or, you know, think of a Jewish woman who worked at Zingerman's, found it as like a world-class Jewish deli, and you lose your job, and you're forced to move, of all places, to Frankenmuth, Michigan. It's Germantown. And the only job you can get is at Bronner's, the world's largest year-round Christmas store. And there's no bagels, and there's no locks, and there's no gefilte fish in a hundred miles. And you wake up every morning with Jingle Bell Rock looping in your head, like, you know, I'm so vain, sometimes loops in my head for obvious reasons. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Gentiles, and most of us in the room are Gentiles, um, we tend to think of the Torah, the law of Moses, the law of Israel, as this odious thing. Uh, but to the Jews, Torah is a freedom manifesto. Uh, Israel's origins, origin story has them coming out of bondage in Egypt, and it's all part of their leaving behind the slave mentality that is, has, um, has been reinforced in Egypt by their marking time according to the Egyptian customs. So they receive a day of rest as like the centerpiece of Torah, the Sabbath, which is viewed as like a mark of freedom. It's not some odious obligation. It's a manifesto of freedom. And as they're decompressing from oppression, God gives them their own way of marking time. Uh, for the Jews, the day begins in the evening at sundown. After uh, the poem in Genesis, Genesis 1, there was evening, there was morning, the first day. Uh, the Jewish year begins at a different time, roughly springtime. Uh, it's organized around three major festivals. The festival of Passover, of Pentecost, or Shavuot, and Sukkot, the festival of uh, tabernacles, tents, or booze. So Israel's identity is forged as resistance to oppression. That's the human story. The Babylonian exile of the Jewish people had a huge impact on Israel's psyche and it taught them to resist by marking time their own way. So they had like this undercurrent parallel way of marking time as part of their resistance. So remember, they had been raped and pillaged and sent into exile in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And they were forced to adapt uh, the ba Babylonian approach to days and seasons, which was like a specialty in Babylon. Our Roman-based calendar is derived from the older Babylonian calendar. So the Babylonian system of marking time was like, it was like a mind game to dominate the Jewish psyche. So the days of the week, think of it, were named by the heavenly lights conceived of as gods. So Sunday is named after the, the sun god. Uh, Monday is the moon god. Tuesday is named after Mars. Wednesday, Mercury. Thursday, Jupiter. Friday, Venus. Saturday, Saturn. You can even hear the resonance in our English translations. So the oppression of authoritarian regimes has this mental component and how you mark time is part of that mental component. The whole idea of the church calendar uh, is drawn from the experience of Israel having this alternate calendar that 
helps them travel to the beat of a different drum. It's part of their resistance to the oppressive powers over them. The church calendar actually was forged in the early Christian experience under the oppressive power of the Roman Empire. So the calendar of the church followed the life of Jesus, right? From birth to death to resurrection to the spirit being poured out on all flesh. Uh, the church calendar was a counter-narrative to the divinization of the Roman emperors, Caesars, which were reflected in the way they marked time. So the, the Roman emperors, you know, they had their special birth narratives that were celebrated. They had their stories of amazing exploits, all leading to their ascension to power. The emperors were called Lord, like Jesus is Lord. It was an echo of Caesar is Lord. And the announcement of the new emperor when he was installed was called the proclamation of good news. The same phrase the Christians use for the proclamation of the gospel or the good news. Um, even the order of Sunday worship, uh, the Eucharist, the communion meal, was conceived of as like a challenge, a resistance to the uh, lordship of Caesar. So the Christians adapted, um, especially in Rome and other places, the format of the special meals that the Romans used to have called the symposia or the symposium. You may have heard Plato's symposium based on this kind of structured semi-public meal that happened all over Rome. And it started with a blessing of the bread uh, which was uh, kind of launched the feast and then the food would have been served and then there was a libation to the gods which was the blessing of the wine and it was a blessing to the Caesar, to Jupiter, to Venus or to, you know, the god of orgies or whoever it might have been. Um, and so the Christians adapted this model and they have like, hello, the blessing of the bread begins in the communion uh, celebration and then there's the blessing of the wine but instead of being a blessing to Caesar or one of the gods it's a blessing of Jesus and Jesus is in that blessing is invoked as the crucified one and everyone knew that meant he received the penalty of being a Roman insurrectionist so the whole thing was conceived and enacted as a kind of resistance to empire the whole worship cycle. It was like, like the way for the early Christians to say, you know, Rome, you may have some power over me and you have designs to get at my psyche even, but your time is limited and you don't have my mind and you don't have my heart. These belong to Jesus who was crucified along with every other enemy of Rome. So there was like a political undercurrent to the way the Christians did their early worship. Now, Many of you have remarked to me as I've met with you in the last uh, number of weeks or had occasion to just chat with you that our new national situation, let's just call it our new national situation, uh, has really been messing with your psyche. Like I'm hearing stories about people, you know, having trouble sleeping, having more anxiety of like, how do I just, how do I adjust to this new reality. I find myself like obsessed with the news or can, I'm, you know, waking up to this news and it's distressing. Um, I read the New York Times recently that our new president has received more um, press, more media attention than any other human figure 
in human history. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so we're, we're in a kind of intense mind game, aren't we? When this kind of an intense political situation is kind of uh, grabbing the attention of the nation and the world, really. Uh, and for sure, we, we do need to pay attention to what's going on, right? We, we need to pay attention. This is no time to fall asleep at the switch. So our Muslim neighbors and uh, anyone with minority status and, and uh, immigrants and our serious Syrian refugees that we've been supporting and our uh, transgender members uh, and, and our young black men all need our, you know, not falling asleep at the switch and being aware of what's going on and participating as citizens in our democracy to resist uh, where those, those people valuable to God are being threatened. Um, but we also, at the same time, we need to carve out space to breathe and to remember whose kingdom we serve and whose path it is that we follow. If our head is just in this one level, it will, it will um, suck our spirit dry. So we need to learn how to travel to the beat of a different drum <laughs> to uh, like expose our souls to a different narrative, a different set of rhythms. So Lent, I think, is just in time this year. Lent is arriving just in time because of all the seasons in the Christian calendar. It's the most intensive for um, refocusing on our God connection. So the, the Afri I've been thinking a lot about the African-American church tradition recently because the African-American social justice tradition has, I think, a lot to teach us about sustaining activism with a deep spiritual perspective at the same time. And, you know, in the, in the Christian landscape, it's easy to separate those two. And often, the, like the social justice churches, you walk in, it's like, oh, this feels like a sociology lecture at the university. And it's all very heady, and it's all very <clears throat> study, study, study. And it's like an elephant giving birth to a pea. No one ever does anything. It's just arguing and studying and reflecting and analyzing and hyper, hypercritical analysis, you know, indulging. Um, and then spirituality, well, that's in the Pentecostal churches where they don't pay any attention to that kind of stuff. But the African-American church tradition uh, historically blends those two emphasis. And, and the black church has always seen like a robust, even an emotion kind of um, driven spirituality as part of a resistance strategy. Uh, this Lent, actually, our recommended book, we usually have like a recommended book on Jesus for Lent, and this is our recommended Jesus book for this Lent. It's a classic. This, is, this book is a book that Martin Luther King Jr. reportedly uh, carried a copy around with him whenever he traveled. He's, he and his father both studied under this, uh, this author, Howard Thurman. It's called Jesus and the Disinherited. There's a great chapter on the, an interpretation of the life of Jesus. And then there's um, four chapters on like the psychic battles that you go through when you're under oppression. And they're labeled hate, deception, anger, and love. So it's all like about the inner life that goes on when you're dealing with these kind of issues. Um, if you are uh, signed up, so I encourage you to actually get a copy of this book on 
Amazon or wherever you like to, or at your local bookstore, um, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited. And we'll be using this as themes for our sermons during the Sunday's event. Um, if you are signed up for our weekly updates, uh, uh, and if you're not signed up, you can do that just by filling out that white half sheet and indicating you want to get it on your our weekly updates and giving us your email legibly. Hopefully, you'll, you'll start getting the weekly updates. If you're already signed up for the weekly updates or you sign up soon, you will begin receiving a daily email with a simple prayer devotion for every day during the 40 days of Lent starting this uh, Wednesday. And the, the uh, daily devotional is like a uh, a daily set of prayers, short prayers, short readings, usually a reading from the psalm. You said the Lord's Prayer is included. We're also including words of Jesus in there as a little section. And then uh, Caroline is uh, um, selecting little selections from Howard Thurman's book to include every day. So you can use this in the morning or at bedtime, whatever works for you as a, a way, it would probably take like three minutes to, to go through this little prayer devotional. Uh, and you can just use that to do some God-centering for your heart that day. Again, in the morning or bedtime is usually what works best for people, but whatever works for you, you'll be getting those uh, emails, I think, fairly early in the morning every day. The other practices that I want to lay out for us is uh, these are things we've done for for a number of times. Uh, one is called pray for your six. So pray for your six is really kind of a simple idea. It's that over the next week, um, as we get rolling in Lent here, uh, take some time to identify six people or less, it's fine. Let's call it pray for your up to six. Um, and they should be people, though, who are just outside your immediate, like, um, familiarity circle. So like family members wouldn't be good candidates for pray for your six, uh, or friends wouldn't be good candidates, other than the fact that it's still America and you can pray for whoever you want to, of course. But the recommendation is that you use it to kind of stretch outside your normal circle. So um, someone on your six, it might be a coworker that you don't have much, uh, you know, you're not a real chums with that person. You maybe just see them, barely know their name. Might be the Starbucks barista who maybe kind of knows your name or knows the drink that you like, and but you see them on a semi-regular basis. They're they're on your radar sc screen, but not not at the center. Maybe a, like a homeless person that you pass on a regular basis or see at the public library. Um, pick out six people and write their names down just or their descriptions. Sometimes people on my six, I don't know their name. I just know it's that, that guy or that person. Write them down to, re to remember who they are and then simply pray for them every day. By pray for them every day, I mean like mention their name um, and lift it up to God. It uh, doesn't need to be like this long, you know, ornate, prayer, just mention their name and lift it up to God and try to do that every day, the same six people. Um, this is really like an exercise in um, like being the kind of being that God is, which is like God is like an ever-expanding circle of compassion. And, you know, one of, the, one of the terms for Jesus is the hound of heaven, you know, it's like 
God goes after people and God extends himself and God opens the door and makes more room at the table. And so we, we recenter on this God by this little practice called pray for your six. And it's, and it's kind of fun sometimes to see, to see what goes on over the course of 40 days when you just every day pray for, for uh, six other people that you don't know that well. One thing that keeps you from being quite as self-absorbed as we normally tend to be. The second practice is called my big ask. The K is really important in the pronunciation of this practice. My big ask. Um, this actually is the most challenging of our spiritual practices for most people, if our um, history is any example. Um, and the idea of, of my big ask is that you identify something that you personally want or need or desire and you pray for it every day. Um, you don't strategize about it. You don't try to make it come into being. You, you treat it like in a very childlike way. I mean, think about children. Children are, if, if they're in a healthy relationship with healthy adults who are their parents, Children are really free to ask for what they want, for, want or what they desire. And they don't do a lot of scrutiny about, is this the right thing to ask for? Or, is, you know, is, how will my mom or dad think about me if I ask for this rather than that? It's just like, hey, I want it. I'm asking for it. Think about something that would be really meaningful to you personally. Maybe write it down, settle on something, and then just ask for it every day in that simple uh, childlike way. This actually is an exercise in vulnerability more than it's an exercise even in like faith. Um, it's an exercise in asking for something personal like this is a really vulnerable thing to do with God. And we've had some, of course, amazing stories of people having their my big ask answered over the years and we've had plenty of unanswered unanswered uh, stories I have, I've had my share of each as I've practiced it um, and Emily's going to talk about that next uh, next week a little bit and there's a little orientation to that in our in our booklet but that's the vulnerable part um, because you just don't know what's going to happen but the act of asking is a really important spiritual um, practice. So just add that to your daily prayer as well. The third little practice in that um, constellation of practices is called our big ask. So it's the, the thing we pray for together as a church community. And sometimes it's real specific and sometimes it's not. And this year we decided to just pray for joy in the middle of stress and um, trouble. So, you know, when you think about it, most of us, most of us honestly, we feel like we're two or three problems away from being happy, right? Like if we could just solve these two or three problems in our lives, then we could relax, we could enjoy life, and we could be happy. And of course, those two or three problems is like a game of whack-a-mole, isn't it? Once you knock down one, another one pops up, right? And you might have two or three like massive big problems and they all get resolved 
And then you're going to be focused on two or three medium-sized or small-sized problems that once I get rid of these, then I'm going to be happy. And it's, a kind, of, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a losing game, isn't it? What if we just said, well, I'm just going to have, I'm going to be two or three problems away, like feeling I'm on easy street or happy lane. Um, and I just want to ask God to give me a little more joy in my day in the midst of these two or three problems. What if we just shifted the focus? So that's the idea of our big ask this year. It's just simply to pray that God would increase our joy in the midst of our two or three big problems. We put it into a prayer. The prayer reads, Lord, increase our joy in the midst of trouble. We release our fears and anxieties to you. Let your light shine in us and overflow through us. Amen. So we'll include that in the, in the daily prayer. It's also, I think, in your, um, in your little booklet. So just pray that prayer every day. To help us with these, uh, remembering these little disciplines, we have the handy... Kind of looks like a Catholic rosary. Prayer beads. Yes, these things are designed to help people do their little uh, daily prayer routine. So our own... Gretchen Humphreys has designed our own blue ocean uh, prayer beads. So, hello, the bottom thing is my big ask. So you, you get this out to do your little praying time and you hold on to this and you pray for your personal need. This little bead here is our big ask. That's when you pray the prayer for, the, for joy in the midst of trouble. Uh, these you can just kind of play with or you can do the Jesus prayer with these little beads or you can just walk your way up to them. And then these other bigger ones in the middle are the, the six people that you're praying for. So boom, you go here, pray, you know, you just go around the prayer, prayer bead change and, you know, how about that? Pretty sweet, eh? Yeah, so uh, this is what we'll be making at lunch after, uh, after church, if you stick around, you can make yourself. This is a really cool one right here. I'm going to sell this for $80. Uh, <laughs> no, um, it's an awesome one. Um, then the other thing we have, and, and we're almost done, is um, we, we try to set up some easy access small groups for the season of Lent. So if you're already part of a small group, great. Continue enjoying your small group. But if you haven't connected with the small group, this is a great uh, way to get into the, uh, into the fun activity of being part of a small group just for the season of Lent. Most of our small groups are going to be meeting weekly through Lent, but some will be meeting um, every other week through Lent. I think there's at least one small group that's only meeting uh, twice during Lent. So that'll be the easiest one to participate in. Do we have the uh, Lenten cards? Yeah. So on that welcome table, there's a little sign and a plexiglass thing, I think. And there's little cards that have our Lenten uh, small groups on it. So you can grab those. If, is anyone leading uh, a Lenten small group. Would you mind standing up just to draw a little attention to yourself? So I know Tim and Rich are leading one. Uh, Rich loves to stand up in front of people. Uh, we heard a couple of weekends ago. These are all people leading small groups for Lent. So if you're interested, go wander up and, in, and invite yourself to one. They'll be thrilled that you're interested. Um, and again, on the cards, there should be some contact information for uh, joining in with one of those small groups. I'm hosting one uh, three times during Lent. It's 
I got the ringer one. Crystal Harding is leading our first ever Blue Ocean Easter Choir. So I'm going to host it at my house and get all the credit for it. And Crystal's going to do the hard work of leading the choir. So the first uh, is Wednesday, what is it? March 8th is the first of our three rehearsals. So we've got a nice uh, grand piano that my wife, Julia, the Episcopal priest and former choir director has. So it's going to be a blast. And um, so come to my group first. And if it's, it doesn't work, go to all these other ones. No, no, it's, uh, you're welcome to the choir and it's going to be fun. It's going to be three weeks of choir rehearsal. Um, then we've got Ash Wednesday on, on uh, this coming Wednesday, right, at uh, St. Clair's. We're just going to do their, their Ash Wednesday service their, their way. Um, the Ash Wednesday service is named after the imposition of ashes. It seems weird if you've never experienced it, but if, you, if you've actually done it, there's something really um, meaningful and... Um, sobering and oddly relaxing to, for a whole group of people to take a moment, pause, and remember their mortality. It's like the thing we're most uptight about. But when a whole group of people in a non-anxious way just does a little ritual to say, you know what, we're, we are all dust and to dust we will return. We're mortal human beings. It kind of shrinks you down to size, your problems shrink down to size, and it's a really cool experience, and it's the highlight of the Ash Wednesday service, which lasts about a, an hour, and it'll be in the sanctuary over there, and St. Uh, Clair's will be running that show because they know how to do these things way better than we do. Um, good Friday. We're going to have a Good Friday service this, this year, and our own Emily Swan came up with the best idea for a Good Friday service, a little bit different. We're going to have a Good Friday service of a sort outside in public, and I know you're cringing, but stay with me, um, probably downtown Ann Arbor, thinking maybe the federal building, and it's going to be just remembering in a public way uh, scapegoated groups these days. We'll find a way to do that that mostly involves silence and candlelight. So it's not going to be a protest. It's not going to be like a weird religious service with, you know, the preacher with the megaphone yelling at people and trying to get them saved and all that kind of stuff. Fair enough. It's, it's, people, people find God that way. God bless them. Um, but this is a different, uh, different kind of service, and um, we're looking forward to that. So that's probably going to happen in the uh, evening of... Good Friday, the Friday before Easter. And then Easter, we'll have our big celebration here. We'll have our big, um, what do we call that? I guess that's a, it's a baptistry or a baptismal. I always get those confused, but it's a largish body of water in which we can do full dunking baptisms. So if you have uh, never been baptized or you'd like to renew your baptismal vows in this way, um, you, can, uh, you can sign up that for, for uh, this Easter. So I know Josh knows what we're talking about. I could just see that look on Josh's face like, I've been here, I've done that. He grew up in a charismatic church. They did this sort of thing all the time, but with, with a lot more energy and fun than sometimes we can generate. So... Um, <laughs> Easter bash and uh, baptism is going to happen on Easter Sunday. Let us know if you're interested in being baptized. Okay, I'm done. That's your orientation to Lent this year, everybody. Let's take a few minutes of quiet reflection as we close. And uh, 
something we like to do is just take two or three minutes to relax, be a little bit quiet. Um, doesn't mean silent. We'll have little noises. That's not a big deal. Um, just to reflect, uh, take a little time to reflect in our space here. Um, then we might want to just begin by taking a deep breath, um, releasing it. Maybe pay attention initially to your breathing as a way of relaxing. And let's just consider the fact that, you know, we all, we all have lots of things that are occupying our attention at any one time. Um, sometimes what's going on in the world has got our attention. It might be our work. It might be family issues. Maybe like house or apartment projects, health concerns. And just think of all of that as like one level of your being. But that there's this deeper level of your being. There are different words for that. Of soul or psyche or your heart. And, and that deeper level of our being is something that is sustained by... Um, deeper streams, think of it like a deeper stream than just the onslaught of events that we're managing every day. This reality is reflected in lines from the psalm. You might just take these in as I mention them. My soul finds rest in God alone. Let that one sink in. My soul finds rest in God alone. Or here's another one from the Psalms. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Again, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So as we get ready for Lent, um, let's think of it as like dipping into that deeper stream that nourishes our soul or our psyche or our heart. You might just pray, God, just get my heart ready to be refreshed or reconnected to you this Lent. Put me in touch with those deeper streams. Amen.